from St. Louis Public Radio. This is St. Louis on the Air. I'm Elaine Cha. This Wednesday, the Missouri General Assembly opened its 2023 legislative session, which runs through May 12th. To talk about prospects for this session, we're turning to Sarah Kellogg, St. Louis Public Radio State House reporter. Sarah, thanks for joining us today. Absolutely, thanks for having me. There are a handful of items lawmakers are expected to debate during this legislative session, and they're doing so at a time Republicans hold power in numbers. A supermajority, yes? Yes, a supermajority in both chambers. Now, on the Republican side, there's initiative positions, uh, petitions, that is, that put items on the ballot for Missouri voters to approve or reject. And voters have amended the state's constitution to legalize medical and recreational marijuana that way. And they've also approved a minimum wage increase and expanded Medicaid by the same means. The GOP would like to change that process by either increasing the number of signatures required to put an issue on the ballot or increasing the number of votes needed to approve an issue. Are Missouri's Republican lawmakers united on this front, Sarah? Yeah, I would say that GOP lawmakers are definitely united on the front that it's too easy to amend Missouri's constitution and they want to make that tougher. But kind of what there isn't a consensus on yet is what that legislation should look like. You mentioned a couple examples. You know, last year there were multiple bills that were debated over initiative petition reform. Some raised the number of signatures needed to get an issue on the ballot. Others raised the number of votes needed to pass an initiative petition once it was on the ballot. We'll see what they come up with, but whatever they do come up with, it's going to have a lot of opposition from Democrats. Mm-hmm. And what would they need to do to make those process changes actually happen? Well, it would have to go through the legislature itself. It would be a resolution as opposed to a bill. It would have to get approval from both the Senate and the House. And then, uh, but the biggest thing is, even if it made it through the legislature, it has to go through voters. And that's kind of a hard sell. You know, Arkansas had its own initiative petition reform go on the ballot, you know, this past election, where amending the Arkansas Constitution would have required 60% of the vote. And well, about 60% of people voted against that ballot initiative. Mm -hmm. So I'm super interested in seeing what the messaging is going to be and and trying to get voters to to go for this. And do you think that messaging is going to address very particular kinds of pushback that they may get? Um, I think that's a good question. I think part of it is they know it's going to have to take a lot of money in order to get this initiative, you know, to get kind of the word spread about this. But I think it's an easy sell against it to say, hey, did you like the things that you voted for? Well, Mm -hmm. it's going to be harder to do if you end up voting for this. Now, ballot, Uh, Language can be tricky. I know example one, uh, example last year was they tried to get 50 50 plus 1% of voters, but it was registered voters, which is an incredibly high threshold. So you'd also have to keep an eye on what that language actually looks like. Now, multiple bills concerning transgender children have been filed this session. There's legislation to bar transgender girls participating in sports in a way that aligns with their gender identity and other bills barring transgender children from access to gender-affirming health care, including puberty blockers. Now, similar bills introduced in past sessions haven't gained much traction. Could it be different this year? 
You know, I don't know. Uh, neither new House Speaker Dean Plocker or Senate President Pro Tem Caleb Rowden mentioned this issue in their opening speeches. You know, with some legislation, there are areas of compromise between parties. This is not one of those issues. Mm-hmm. Any attempt would be made with strong opposition from Democrats. I would certainly expect a filibuster from Senate Democrats. So it's kind of a wait and see. Uh, legislation has certainly already been filed, but I, you know, we'll see how much momentum they get. Mm-hmm. Now, on the Democrat side, a top priority for them is passing gun control measures. There's been increased interest in this since the deadly school shooting at Central Visual and Performing Arts High School here in St. Louis in October. What specifically is being proposed? I mean, kind of it's what isn't being proposed uh, between the Senate and House. Democrats have already filed around 20 pieces of legislation on this. And this was all before session even started. Uh, There's a bill that expands the definition of unlawful possession of a firearm to include anyone who's been convicted of domestic assault. There's another bill filed that prohibits the selling or purchasing of a semi-automatic or fully automatic firearm to anyone under 20 years old. Another creates a red flag law where law enforcement would be able to temporarily take away a firearm in certain situations. There's a lot of bills pertaining to gun control that have been filed. And do you think that that has anything to do with um, you know, being able to get conservative lawmakers to consider passage? You know, it just depends on what that legislation looks like. I think even with the recent attention of the school shooting kind of bringing more of these bills filed again. You know, the new attention to gun control, I don't know if any will pass the finish line. Uh, Senator Cindy O'Loughlin, who is the floor leader of the Senate, you know, she said she doesn't see a scenario where a gun control bill passes. Now, there are two items uh, that do appear to have bar- bipartisan support, and one of them is legalizing sports betting. From your perspective, what makes chances good that this will pass? Well, you know, if we're going by bill number order, you know, bills are filed and, and, and kind of earlier they're filed, the more chance you're probably going to hear from it. Well, Senate Bill 1 this year is the sports betting and video lottery machines bill. So mm-hmm. I think it's certainly going to be discussed. Last year, a sports book bill made it through the House and then it ended up stalling in the Senate. I think one of those possible hiccups is the addition of language pertaining to video lottery gaming machines. And those are the machines you see in gas stations. They're also called gray machines because they aren't exactly legal, but they aren't getting deactivated. So putting those two issues together could be more complicated, but I, I just think there's a lot of momentum this year, and a lot of people want it, and I think lawmakers want to at least point, you know, take Missourians' perspective in that. Mm-hmm. And this week, another thing that you identified as having some bipartisan support was teacher pay, and that actually came up on our show earlier this week on Tuesday. As another area of policy that could see consensus What kind of increase are we looking at or or talking about? You know, kind of similar to initiative petition, it's like it is bipartisan support that teachers are not being paid enough in Missouri. Both Republicans and Democrats want to see a pay increase, but like it's the question of what that should look like. You know, last year, lawmakers increased starting teacher pay through a grant program and reinstituted a way of more for more experienced teachers to earn pay. But, you know, Missouri's still at the bottom when it comes to teacher pay among states. There's been talks about raising the floor of minimum pay. Another idea was maybe a performance-based pay raise. So that's another one where definitely there's an agreement that teacher pay increases need to happen. But how? You know, it's still really early to figure that out. Mm -hmm. And is there anything that might stall that, even if there is that kind of agreement? 
I mean, that's kind of it'll be likely in the budget. And and thankfully for that, you know, uh, the budget is the one thing Missouri, like the lawmakers have to get done like constitutionally. So I think that at one point pay increases, either if it's a part of that, I think they will get addressed. No, we had talked earlier about the super majority. And at this point, um, there is also an issue of internal politics and Republicans aren't wholly united as a contingent. What is it that's driving infighting among them? Well, I think a lot of it was just kind of ideals in policy. I mean, this past in-between session, we saw the dissolution of the Conservative Caucus, which was about seven members of the 34-member con- uh, member Senate uh, that, you know, a lot of times pushed back. A lot of it was the uh, congressional map. They wanted a 7-1 map. There was also pushback on a lot of the money that was spent in the budget. So a lot of it was kind of ideological in some ways, but, you know, they've dissolved. They say they want to cross over and, and meet up with the rest of the Republicans. So I'm really curious to see kind of if that was kind of a name only because, you know, their principles are still going to be there. So I'm mm-hmm. curious as to see how that shakes out. And how do you think that infighting and sort of what, as you say, shakes out with it might affect the agenda of the supermajority? Well, last year it definitely derailed policies. You know, before they were able to get a map done, they were able to get a budget done, and I would say probably their election bill that they passed, those are the big ones, but, the, you know, initiative petition form actually was one they really wanted to get done and just ran out of time. You know, yesterday they kind of, the Senate debated some new rules with the new Senate president, uh, pro tem Caleb Rowden, and uh, he discussed those rules with Senator Eigel, former member of the caucus, and he said, you know, he's willing to do that olive branch, agree to the rules, and moving forward. So right now it's positive, but it's January, it's not April. We'll see, you know, kind of what happens. So with a little bit of bated breath uh, and and cautious optimism. Now, as far as what is, is new and familiar, we have for the third time since 2018, uh, a new attorney general. Andrew Bailey is a former general counsel for Governor Mike Parson's office and is now the 44th person to serve in this capacity. What do we know about Bailey's background that can help us understand how he'll serve as attorney general? Yeah, you know, he's never served in a public-facing office like this, so we don't have a voting record or prior speeches or really a super clear picture. But, you know, Governor Mike Parson wouldn't have picked him if he didn't hold Republican values. And before this, like you said, he serves as the general counsel for the governor's office. And Parson, when Parson announced Bailey, he credited him in aiding his administration in ending almost all legal abortions in the state, strengthening gun right protections, and safeguarding local control on mask and vaccine mandates. So it seems like he's definitely in line with kind of the conservative values that Parson wants. Mm-hmm. And there are multiple ongoing lawsuits filed by the previous AG, Eric Schmidt. Will Bailey be taking those on? Yeah, that was a question asked uh, repeatedly to him. And he said, you know, his office is going to be looking at every single lawsuit filed by Schmidt to see kind of what the next steps are, be that continuing the lawsuit or dismissing. But he did say he's not here to start dismissing lawsuits and that he's going to continue to push back against the Biden administration. So I would expect some of those uh, kind of leftover Schmidt lawsuits to continue. Mm-hmm. And then as far as the, um, what you've said about values, you know, Bailey says that he is a, quote, constitutional conservative. Why do you think he made it a point to describe himself that way? 
That's a really good question. Uh, I mean, that's that's a tough one for me to answer. But I think, you know, the history, he said the history of what's written in the Constitution provides the proper understanding of those words. So to me, it seems like he's someone who really interprets the Constitution for, for what is written is what it says. And, and he says that it should motivate us to protect those freedoms because we learn from that history. So we'll kind of see what that means down the line. But it seems like it's pretty, you know, staunch upholder of the Constitution. Sarah Kellogg is St. Louis Public Radio's State House reporter. Thanks so much, Sarah, for catching us up on the outlook for the newly opened Missouri legislative session. Absolutely. Thanks so much. This episode was produced by Emily Woodbury. Audio engineering and podcast design by Aaron Dorr. Our production intern is Avery Rogers. Alex Hoyer is our executive producer. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. Our podcast proudly supports St. Louis artists by using music from Life Creative Group. Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations. And leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thanks. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, providing more than 41,000 jobs in the production of wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details at ChooseWood.com.